0: This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. This series of Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, is brought to you by Smart Nutrition Map Plus MST. Experience the latest, most efficient fertilizer system for delivering sulfur and phosphate to your crops when they need it. Learn how to boost your soil's performance and maximize ROI with Smart Nutrition Map plus MST at smartnutritionmst.com.
1: Hi, I'm Bree Rohde, editor with Annex Business Media's Agriculture Group. And I'm here today with John Hurd, soil fertility extension with Manitoba agriculture and resource development. And John, today we're gonna to be talking about spring soil sampling. So I want to start by talking about what I guess is a bit of an elephant in the room, which is, as you've told me yourself, fall actually tends to be the most common time for sampling. Obviously, spring sampling does happen. So can you tell me a little bit about when you know to sample in the spring and what kind of conditions and outside factors you have to take into consideration?
0: Well, if you have to sample in the spring, and I guess that's what we're saying, if you have, uh, it's probably because that job got neglected when it should have been done in the fall. Uh, because the spring, there's a bit of a time crunch there, and you may not get the qualified uh, a uh, soil sampling person to do the job, the one you want. So you might end up actually having to do it yourself and that's not done very often anymore. Uh, soil sampling out here on the prairies uh, means sampling to two feet deep. Sometimes that ground's still frozen in the spring when we should be sampling. So that, that's hard to do with hand probes. And uh, I, right to your question, you say, when should you sample in the spring? When you can get a two foot sample and before uh, mid-May because once soils start to warm up up here, uh, they're moist and as they start to warm up, then we get nitrogen mineralizing from organic matter. And that's really just a nuisance to us. It taints the sample. We don't want to menor- measure what's actively mineralizing in the growing season. We want to know what's there before that. If your soil sampling gets delayed in the late May or June, it's, it's a pretty limited value. Certainly you probably shouldn't be using our uh, uh, guidelines that are there because our guidelines are all based on a, a fall or early spring sample.
1: So now let's move on to where to sample. If you want to actually get the best return on your investment in time, can you tell me about how you know where to sample?
0: Well, it's not so much where to sample, it's where to not sample. We sometimes say, you know, the the best value for the farmer is not to be doing their own sampling. My God, life's too short to be hammering hand probes two feet in the ground over large acreages. So you're going to hire someone that knows how to do the job right. But if this is their first time on on your farm, they may not know where to go. So best time you could spend with them would be to travel over that field the first time, point out to them where the old pasture used to be, the old manure spreading, uh, which were separate fields, uh, where the salty spots are, uh, where the brush piles were pushed up. Uh, and the other thing, you want to make sure they're not sampling the, the bald knolls uh, where erosion has been high, or the low spot that are saline. So it, it's a case of if you're going to have one sample to represent that field, you want to avoid those problem areas. Uh, and sample the majority of the field now if those problem areas are a considerable portion of the field well then you you probably should sample them separately but keep them in a separate pail and that's something you would uh, take note of separately yeah when it comes to doing a good composite sample you like to have it geographically distributed within the field but for goodness sake stay out of the problem areas where you know that there's been uh, excess nutrient buildup or uh, other things that uh, uh cause yield problems
1: now i want to circle back to something you said which is that ideally you really shouldn't be doing your own sampling so uh can you tell us about who should be doing uh your sampling and how do you know you know that they are the right person for it
0: we should use your trusted agronomist which most farmers uh, uh have a good relationship with so uh and how do you know that person that's someone that might be working with your egg retail establishment and so quite often they are set up to do that but more and more increasingly these days it's an independent consultant maybe it's someone that worked for that retail in the past that's developed their own company now and so there's a, a number of people uh good qualified people uh we like to see the certified crop advisor status is a a good signal that they're they're tuned in and uh uh you know it's nice to to select someone that's had some experience and uh talk talk to maybe your neighbors or others people that they've they've had success with in the past Uh, don't necessarily take the cheapest Uh, you know you get what you pay for (laughs) and and if you don't want to pay anything you might be able to go to one of the few remaining agricultural offices that are out there, and they're in their museum. They'll have some hand probes that you could possibly borrow if you if you're feeling up to sampling yourself. And where you go,
1: great. Now I know that uh, sometimes your soil sampling, what you do, where you do it, how you do it, might depend a bit on your fertilization strategy. Can you share a little bit about that?
0: Well, just that. Uh, the majority of fields are still fertilized uh, corner to corner with the same rate of fertilizer and that's still pretty appropriate in most cases. Uh, but if, if you have identified that there's a, a fair bit of uh, either yield variability or uh, soil nutrient variability or yield potential within the field, you may choose to go to a variable rate application system. And to do that, that means you need to uh, be collecting samples from different uh, areas of the field uh, that represent, what's common out here is zone sampling. I I think you're in Ontario and there, they may be more used to doing grid soil sampling. We would consider that inexpensive and irrelevant on the prairies. So we are smarter than that and generally have developed a zone sampling, which takes into account productivity, uh, based on uh, uh, historic yield potential from yield maps or, digi- or um, uh, vegetation indexes, remote sam- sampling from uh, satellites, or uh, uh, topography or some measure of uh, soil texture in the fields. If you've got that and determined which three to, I don't know, five or eight areas of the field are expected to perform similarly. Then you would soil sort of sample those separately, as if they were in a, a field on their own. You know that's quite a bit more expensive to to do that type of thing, because coupled with that is then you you can have that recommendation or prescription, you're gonna need a piece of equipment, a seeder or something that can apply variably rate those nutrients. So. Yeah, there's a a broad range in prices and sophistication that you can use.
1: Great. Thanks so much for that. I did want to get around to a few other sampling uh, pointers, especially, you know, if people are new to sampling or maybe don't entirely know things like um, recommended depths. What are what are the different uh, depths you would recommend and reasons for using those depths?
0: In Ontario there, I think typically you just sample surface samples. And out here, we consider that a half job to do that. Uh, Sampling for nitrogen uh, depends on, uh, it's a mobile nutrient that moves in the soil, so water. Uh, Our water is frozen out here for six months of the year, so we can sample in the fall and have a pretty good indication of where, what the soil nitrogen levels are. In Ontario there, your soils don't freeze very well and they're well-drained and those levels may have no relationship at all to what's left in the spring. So it it, it would be kind of irrelevant for them to sample for nitrogen at depth in the fall. So getting back to your question, yes, we sample zero to six inches for immobile nutrients, phosphorus, potassium, most of the micronutrients, but it's the slippery ones, the ones that are mobile, nitrogen, in the nitrate form and sulfur uh, that move in the water, those are the ones we sample in zero to six, six to 24 inches. And that's why we do that on the prairies and why you don't in Ontario. You, you, you just can't catch something that's not mobile in Ontario. It's there today, gone tomorrow.
1: Very interesting. Now, once you have the samples, can you tell us a little bit about how to just maintain their integrity?
0: Well, we, uh, you know, in the olden days, uh, we used to ask farmers to uh, set them out and dry them in the shop or whatever and hopefully the the barn cat doesn't pay them a visit or something else in the meantime but uh, rarely do we ask people to process their own samples now we suggest keep them cool or cold uh, and then just ship them to the lab as fast as possible uh, the great thing is you know when the I know the government of the universities used to be involved in testing samples, uh, like they provided, if you're lucky, same month service. And with uh, private industry now, we're getting uh, service and turnaround within sometimes two, three days. We'll have a results back so we can get them there quickly through courier services and they do quick analysis and send results back. Currently, we say just ship them and get them there as fast as possible, but if you do need to store them, keep them cold or frozen or dry them uh, until you uh, can put them on the Pony Express to get to the testing lab.
1: And now, once you've sent to the soil test labs, you know, the job isn't quite done. What are some of the things that that you need to be ready for once you ship to the labs?
0: Well... I guess one of the things there first is before you put a, a stamp on the, the sample to go, first you want to make sure the lab is going to do appropriate tests for you. Uh, best if it's a lab that has that's doing business in your area, different tests are appropriate in different regions of the continent, and so uh, tests that may be relevant uh, in the Corn Belt may not be relevant in the prairies. In fact, uh, often they are not. So use a lab that's used to doing, analyzing prairie samples, if that's the case. And uh, uh, based on that, that, then you would go down the road. But if you're getting uh, samples done, analysis done by uh, labs are used to working here, then you'll also get recommendations that are relevant to the prairies. And you should also be able to get a second opinion. And to me, that second opinion is, look at your local provincial fertilizer guidelines, and you can compare contrast, you know, here's what the, the lab is suggesting and, and here's what the um, uh, the province or the university is is suggesting. Uh, what are the differences and are they justified?
1: Great. Well, we're coming up on time, but John, is there any other helpful tips or tricks or anything that you think our listeners really need to know before we say goodbye?
0: No, nope, we have covered most anything that anyone wants to know here for now.
1: Well, that's just great. Thank you so much, John Hurt.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To catch up on all of our other episodes, visit topcropmanager.com podcasts.